Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. a series called Joy and Peace, as Jason mentioned. And in this series, we're looking at the ultimate reason for our joy and our peace. And I want to start kind of in maybe a little bit different way today. So I'm going to nerd out for a second. My background is I, uh, for about 10 years, owned and operated a recording studio. This is me with the Beatles. Um, at Abbey Road. I mean, it was really cool back then. I mean, just so. No. Um, so for about 10 years, I owned and operated a studio out in the woods outside of San Marcos, Texas. And um, when we would do a recording session, we would have, oh gosh, like 50 to 100 like tracks. So that means... Each track is like an instrument or a voice or, or a sound. And so you would have just like this enormous thing. And all this was, uh, it was kind of started by the Beatles in the early 60s. And they had a whopping four tracks that they could record different things on and control each of them separately. And I was thinking about the season, the season of Christmas is that um, kind of like the, the evolution of adding tracks. I feel like the world in life just kind of always adds one more thing to the Christmas season. I, you probably know what I'm talking about. The, 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 this time of year, you have, uh, you have Santa and the elves and the reindeer, right? They're all there. You have Black Friday. You have Cyber Monday. You have Small Business Saturday. Okay, we're just going to keep adding some things. We, we should add a, 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 another thing. We had Giving Tuesday. Okay, Giving Tuesday. We, we have uh, all the traditions of your family. Maybe you travel. Maybe you are getting your house ready to bring some people in. So you, you have that piece going on. Maybe you have some end of semester or, or, or uh, winter break things with your children, some stuff that they're doing. And so you, you've got that piece going on. And, and it's like we just have all these things. And if it was like a recording console, it would just have all these faders up everywhere. <laughs> and I was thinking about the, the essential lyric and melody of Christmas. Because back when we would have artists come in, we would have, you know, 50 to 100 tracks. You know, oh, we had endless amounts of things that we could add. What we would do is as we would start a song, is we would just have the artist stand in the control room and they would just sing with a guitar and just a simple sound. And here's the thing. Great music is not about lots of tracks. It's when that essential lyric and melody connects and it moves you. What is the essential lyric and melody of Christmas. It's, it's what I want to talk about today. In, in taking it a little bit deeper, does it connect? Does it connect for you? 
Does it move you? So we're going to be in John chapter 1 is our primary passage, if you want to start turning there. But I want to read from Isaiah chapter 9, and then we're going to look at John chapter 1. In Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6, the prophet is writing about, oh, 700 plus years before Jesus ever comes onto the scene. So this is like way out in advance. And he says this, it's the passage that you probably have heard, and we read it at Christmas time. It says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Then John, in John chapter 1, he's beginning his gospel, and the whole thing is really amazing, but I'm going to start in verse 9. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It literally means to pitch his tent. He dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side He has revealed him. This is the word of the Lord. In both of these passages, it's presenting to us the essential lyric and melody of the season. That's what we just sang about. It's Isaiah says this. He says, a child will be born. And then he says, he will be called Mighty God, eternal father. A child called eternal father. And John, the word, and if you were to read the first part of John, the word that was with God in the beginning, the word that was God, this word became flesh and dwelt among us. Last week, we talked about divine interruptions, how Advent is God stepping in and interrupting this consistent line of human life. And today, I want to talk about the incarnation, the incarnation, because it is the absolute essential lyric and melody. It's what makes Christmas such a big deal that God took on flesh, and without it, Christmas would be like the famed Millie Vanilli concert. You know what I'm talking about. 
It was an MTV Live concert in Connecticut. And all of a sudden, the backing tracks just started skipping, like, and it was revealed there was nothing there. There was no essential lyric or melody, okay? (laughs) And without the incarnation, Christmas would be like that. It would be a lot of stuff turned up really high. But if we were to pull it all back, it would be an empty and hollow thing. So I would like us to do that together, just to pull back all the faders for a little bit this morning and just to turn up that one major thing and look at the miracle, the mystery and the meaning of the incarnation. Let's begin with the miracle of the incarnation. It's the first thing I want, us to, I want us to consider, and it's what John writes about in verse 14 when he says that the Word, capital W Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. See, the incarnation literally means the infleshing of God. Now, any Tex-Mex eater should know that carne means meat, right? Come on. If you go to the Tex-Mex restaurant and you don't know that, like carne gasada, right? It's very important information in Texas that you know what carne means. It means meat and, and that word incarnation. Incarne is like literally flesh, like he's taking on flesh. But it's not even just that he was taking on a, a, a body. It's that he was experiencing the full human experience that God, the eternal one, would step in and put on flesh. It really is the most, capital the, I mean the most miraculous, amazing, and important event in all of history. Most important thing. And so the miracle is, is that God would step into our human experience. In Luke 1, uh, the angel is explaining to Mary, you probably know the story, and he's telling Mary, like, what's going to happen? And he says to her, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Jesus, by the way, is a Greek version of the name Joseph or Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. He says, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great and be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. And of course, Mary says, how can this be? I've never had sexual relations with a man. I've never been with a man. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One born, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's the miracle that somehow, miraculously, the Holy Spirit is is able to to hover over Mary, and, and it's like this miraculous thing happens. It's what we call the immaculate conception. Jesus born of a virgin, meaning he has no human father, the son of God. And this is important for us to understand as we understand the doctrine of incarnation is that because Jesus had no human father, that means he did not inherit the sin nature that you and I have. 
The line from Adam was broken in a sense that God steps in and is like, I'm going to break that. I'm going to bring a, a, a perfect, sinless human into the world. Yet, he had a human mom. And so, making him the son of man, he was fully human. And think about that. He was dependent. The son of God was dependent on his mother to hold him, to pick him up, to comfort him when he cries, to feed him. He learned to walk and talk. He had to learn how to potty train. The son of God learned to potty train. That's crazy. He grew and he learned. He was tempted, just like we're tempted. He suffered like we suffer. He died a physical death. He was fully human. And there's a phrase, it's a, it's a theological phrase that remaining what he was, meaning that he has always been the, the, the eternal son of God. Remaining what he was, he became what he was not, which was a human being. Now, there are false claims out there that says Jesus was just a man. You've probably heard that before. Great teacher. He was a prophet, miracle worker. We should listen to what he said. He taught about love, right? People talk about Jesus as though he was just a man, or we have others that say he's not really a man. He was, you know, maybe he was an apparition. Maybe he was, uh, he, he was a god, but he was not really here. I mean, he didn't really die on a cross. He just kind of fainted or, or whatever. It's like, it's like there, there's these things that people say about Jesus. And, and you have to understand that the Bible says, like we just read, that the eternal son of God took on real flesh and blood and lived the full human experience. And I found this quote from C.S. Lewis. And I thought, gosh, this is an amazing quote. It's from a, a work called Miracles. He says this, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation, the central miracle. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this, just as every natural event is the manifestation at a particular place and moment of nature's total character, so every particular Christian miracle manifests at a particular place and moment the character and significance of the incarnation. Wow. I didn't know if I fully understand all that. But the essential miracle that we believe as followers of Jesus is this. It's the incarnation. So that's the miracle of the incarnation. The second thing is the mystery of the incarnation. Because just as the angel said, here's how this is going to happen, we still, if we were to press these ideas of like, how does this work? The eternal 
you know, you know, second person of the triune Godhead who existed from, you know, eternity. Like, we, we don't even understand that. Some of you have probably laid at, at night, you laid awake in your bed at night, and you're like, I don't understand eternity. Like, how did God never have a start? Like, how, like what does that mean? You know, like, you just, your brain can't handle it. And that he somehow takes on flesh. How? <laughs> Hebrew, Hebrews 1.3 says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining, this is interesting, sustaining all things by his powerful word, that right now, everything, every atom, all things that exist, the universe, the stars, the galaxies, are being held together by the word of the Son of God, the capital W word, and somehow... An infant was nursing and holding the world together by his powerful word. Somehow, an, an, an embryo is growing into this child and holding the world together. It's a mystery. I have no idea how that works. <laughs> we have Jesus declaring and demonstrating his divinity. If you were to read the rest of John, he seven times makes I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I'm the true vine over and over again. And this one, this divine one, also limits himself as he gets tired from a long day, weary, hungry, thirsty, it's a mystery. This quote from Wayne Grudem, who wrote an amazing uh, systematic theology, he says this, the fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all of the universe. It's a miracle and it's a mystery and we just can't wrap our, our minds fully around it, but it's the essential lyric and melody of Advent. It's assumed in all the things that we celebrate and do in this season. And I think the question is, does it move you? Does that move you? I know it's, it's doctrinal. It's a doctrine. And as soon as you say the word doctrine, we're all like, oh, this is going to be dry today, right? But does it move us? And so we have to ask, what does it mean? What is the meaning? It's the third thing I want us to consider. What is the meaning of the incarnation? Because here we have in John, in 9, this true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. He's coming into the world, this light. And you know what light does? Light reveals. And so Jesus is coming and he's revealing and, and he goes on to tell us what he reveals. And he says this in verses 14. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We, we observed, we saw his glory. The glory as the one and only 
son, capital S, son, from the father, talking about his divinity, full of grace and truth. John said, he existed before me, even though John was a little bit older. And he says, we've received grace upon grace from his fullness. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God. But Jesus has revealed him to us. The meaning of the incarnation is first this. The incarnation reveals the true God to us. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. It's what Paul, if you ever have read the book of Acts, there's a a place called Mars Hill, and it was a place where all the ideas of the day were discussed, and Paul had come into the city of Athens, and he saw that there were statues and idols everywhere, and he's troubled. And so Paul just starts sharing the gospel, and they bring him before Mars Hill, and he sees a statue that says, to the unknown God. And he says, He's not unknown anymore. We've observed him. He came in a body and he died for you. See, the the, the thing about the incarnation is that we can see God. God has revealed himself, he's observable, he's visible. The invisible one made visible. God has come to our doorstep. He's walked in our shoes. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And what was he like? What did we see? What did his followers see when they observed Jesus? The, the, the words that he uses are words like glory. It was glory. Words like full of grace. Is that what you think of when you think of God? Full of grace. Truth. He was true. And he says, grace upon grace upon grace. It's like he just, he was just so full of grace. That's what we saw. The true God. Meaning this, he's better than we could ever have imagined. The incarnation shows us the God who's way better than anything we could ever think of. And his self-giving love was, was viewable all the way down from a humble manger to the lowest death on a Roman cross. He leaves the heights of heaven, the highest heaven, and dwells in the lowliness of earth, the true God to us. The second thing is that the incarnation reveals true humanity to us. One of Jesus' favorite ways to refer to himself was as the son of man. Do you ever talk, to your, talk about yourself in the third person? You know, that, uh, there was a phrase, Tommy likey, Tommy likey, you know? Tom, Tommy boy says that. No one? Okay, cool. I encourage you to talk about yourself in the third person. You can just just say, so Chris really likes that, you know. Um, 
Jesus said, the son of man came. He's talking about himself. The son of man came, right? And it was one of his favorite ways to talk about himself. In fact, it's probably the most common way that Jesus refers to himself among people was the son of man. And I think that's significant for us, that the son of God, who is the son of man, refers to himself as the son of man to people around him. Because Jesus embodied and he modeled what God intended for us. Because Jesus didn't have this inheritance in nature, he's able to walk as one, at one with the Father. He could hear what the Father was saying. He could do what the Father was doing at all times. Like He was fully connected to God, and that is the picture of what God meant for us. It's what God always dreamed of, and Jesus gets to model it for us. Jesus is the model and the standard of what it means to be truly human. And in fact, that's what the New Testament writers tell us over and over and over again. If you were just look at what they were saying to the churches, it's, it's things like in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So he sees his, his role as a leader is like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do everything I can to look as much like Jesus as I can. And if you'll just look at me, then I, I think you're gonna see Jesus too. And he's not talking about Jesus who's ascended to the Father, who's, who's, who's interceding. He's talking about how did Jesus live in his body? Because that's what I want to imitate. Philippians 2, 5, he's talking about our, uh, our relationships. He's talking about humility. And he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And you know the passage, right? Who, who being God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he empties himself, taking on the form of a servant. People, if you want to live a true humanity, look at Jesus, look at how he lowers himself. In 1 Peter 2, Peter says, your best friend of Jesus, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Which steps are those? The steps he took in his body. Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. When you're tired, when you're weary, when you're just done, and he says, look at Jesus. So let's just consider him, not just the resurrected Jesus who's at the Father's hand right now. Look at Jesus in the body when he was enduring suffering. Look to him. He's the model. He's the standard of what it means to be a true human being. He reveals the true God to us, reveals true humanity to us. But lastly, this is this, and this is where the Oh, I think this is where it moves us, where this sensual lyric and melody begins to move us. He reveals true salvation for us. It's the third thing. Jesus, as only fully God or only fully man, could not save us. Why do I say that? That's a big statement. If you were to read... A little further in John, you'd find the passage that you see on the side of the football stadium, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The whole story of the Bible is this. Creation, fall, man's fall and sin. Redemption, restoration. It's the whole story. In between the fall and the redemption, there's this moment called the incarnation where Jesus steps in and what Jesus is going to do, and you know the story, is that he's going to become our substitute. How did God deal with our sin problem? He substitutes himself, and this is the story of the Bible, but God, who's fully God, Jesus, as fully God, cannot die because God cannot die. It's like that question, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? No, no. God cannot fully die. He cannot die. And so to be our substitute, Jesus has to be fully human. He has to be perishable. A sacrifice will have to be made. Blood will have to be shed for forgiveness of God's people. Yet a man, a fully man Jesus, could not pay for the sins of all people in every time and place and era and age that would believe in him. And so Jesus has to be fully God in order to be able to pay for the sin of all the world. And even people like us in 2021. And so Jesus, as only fully God or only fully man, could not save us. The other thing is this, and this is where the joy and the peace comes in. Because Jesus, as fully God only, would crush us. Absolutely crush us. And far from joy and peace, we would just be waiting for like the holy wrath of God because he's holy and we're not. And so judgment and condemnation would flow to us. Jesus as fully man alone would crush us. Why? Because he's so good. He's so awesome. And it's like the people that you hate that are so good at everything. And you're like, oh. It's like he's so morally pure that you and I would either just die in legalism trying to live up to it, or we would, we would be in the misery of just total rebellion against it because we were just so fed up with the fact that we could not attain it. Fully God or fully man alone would absolutely crush us and we would have no joy in no peace. We'd be frustrated, miserable people. It's only Jesus incarnate, fully God, and fully man that could save us. It's glory, as the disciples said. It's grace upon grace. It's grace and truth, God with us, revealing himself to us, God at our doorstep, observable, invisible, and touchable, and hearable, laying down his life for me and for you with the power to pay for it and to pay for all people and to raise again. It's the miracle it's the mystery, and it's the meaning of the incarnate Jesus. So, let me just close with this. That's not really joyful. Jesus, Jesus incarnate, 
the, the, the miracle, the mystery, the meaning of the incarnation is not joyful or peaceful to us when all the faders are turned up and it's like, you can't, like, that's just totally lost. We, whenever we would, um, you know, mix records at the end of the process, the band leaves and you as the producer get to just, you know, have all that, that stuff that you've been working on and you, you get to just sort of craft the music. You, you pull everything up and I would get so excited. I, I, would, I would work on this part, the drums and then the guitars and then, then the bass and, and it was just, and then I would find out I always do the, the voice last and by the time I had the music bed so perfect, I would, I would turn the voice up and it's like, it wouldn't cut through. There was a phrase that we used. It was this, it's buried in the mix, meaning everything else is just crowding out the sonic space that you literally had to just go back and turn everything down and go back to that vocal. And what I learned as I got a little bit wiser is I start there. Turn up the main thing. Turn up that primary voice, that melody. And then you begin to build everything else around it. And if something doesn't fit, then guess what? It doesn't fit. And we mute it. And I just want to invite you in a season where everything's loud, everything's turned up, that maybe if you could just in your own heart just pull all the faders down and go back to the essential lyric and melody of the Son of God with us in flesh and let that move you, and then maybe begin from there. Let's just, okay, yeah, no, the family thing, that's cool. Tradition is cool. All that's great. But it must be in balance. It must be mixed so that the main thing stays the main thing. So I want to invite us just to hear it again, to hear that heavenly sound, to let it move us to pull down the noise and reorient our faith in our lives and our hearts to Jesus incarnate. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.